a crusty criminal, a cat that defies all odds. And then we take a look at the life of a man who tried to blend Christianity and science with hilarious results today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. We got a blah, 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 blah. We got a lot of good stuff today. I did want to make a quick note. I've tried recording this part on a couple different podcasts. I always have to edit it out for time. Let's see if we survive now. First episode of the podcast, I watched the trailer for Hereditary. For whatever reason, I thought it was a good idea at the time while I was recording the podcast. And I, I my complaint was that everyone said it was the scariest movie since The Exorcist. And I've been fooled before with, like, the Babadook, and It Follows, and all this new wave of artistic horror movies. Like, this millennial artistic horror movie genre, whatever you want to call it. And I go, well, the trailer looks good, I'll give it a shot. I gave it a shot, and my initial instincts were right. The movie was not scary at all. The movie is basically about, I mean, this is really dumbing it down, but it's about a demon... With a nut allergy. What? A demon possesses a girl. Either the demon has the nut allergy or the demon possesses a girl with a nut allergy. The girl eats nuts. Then she can't breathe so she sticks her head out a car window and the driver goes too close to a power line and knocks her head off. And then the next 40 minutes is people crying over this poor girl who got her head knocked off. And then at the ending a bunch of old naked people show up. And the demon's trying to get into the girl's brother. And the old naked people are standing in, like, all the corners of their house. Full frontal, by the way. If you ever want to see what a 70-year-old naked man looks like, watch Hereditary. Teenager jumps out the window, which was the most believable part. Because that's how most people would get away from a bunch of old naked people. And then the demon possesses him, and he goes into a treehouse, and they give him a crown. The end. Two hours long, by the way. Two-hour-long movie. Beautifully shot. But very schlocky plot with a lot of like drama put into it to make it feel feel like a heavy movie. So here's my recommendation. If you're looking for a movie that if you're looking for a movie that has a schlocky basic plot but want something more, there's an independent film that came out a couple of years ago called Resolution. Two brothers go into the woods. One has a heroin addiction, the other one is there to help him kick the heroin addiction. They're in a cabin in the woods, and there's something out there. Very schlocky basic plot, but the way that it's handled, it's 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 a really good, tense, fun horror movie. And it makes you think afterwards. It real it's one of those movies that you're like, hmm, and you you kind of think about it for a couple of days. So resolution, if you're in the mood for something that I think is is far superior to hereditary. Okay, so now that that book's been sealed on that movie, let's go ahead and get started with the episode. So we have a couple stories today. Um, two of them are from New News. Now, I know people are probably like, yes, you sold that from PewDiePie. And I have to say, I don't know who PewDiePie is, so I do, actually. I watch this channel all the time. But anyways, it works. It works. So, oh, yes. First off, we're going to talk about... Now, you know, I've had this issue before where let's... Hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, let's say that I'm a criminal. Now, if I was a criminal in the 1970s, I would be like, oh, I just got to wear these gloves... Can't leave fingerprints, that's how they're going to catch me. And if you were a criminal in the 1700s, you'd be like, 
better not stand here at this crime scene so they don't catch me. So it's like crime detection has changed over the over the centuries, basically. First, they did blood typing. They'd find the blood and they'd be like, hmm, this guy has A negative blood. Round up everyone who has A negative blood. And then it became fingerprints. Well, maybe the fingerprints came first, actually. But, I mean, they had these progression of techniques. And it's this arms race where the criminals commit crimes and they don't ever really know. When you commit the crime, you're doing it on the basis of the evidence-gathering techniques they have then. You don't know what's coming down the pipe. You're a serial killer back in the 80s. You're not really thinking about DNA. In 1983, there was an armed robbery. Okay, and actually, here, let me back up again. I know that was an exciting beginning. I think this story takes place in Britain, because these articles, again, are from 2004. The reason why I think it takes place in Britain, because they refer to an armored car as a caravan company, whatever that is. I'm assuming it's an armored car. And the reason why I'm I'm assuming that is because it had 38,000 pounds in it, so that's like... I don't know, 30,000 bucks. But anyways, back to our action scene. Shooting out with this caravan. I just think of like Lawrence of Arabia, but... Give me the gold, give me the gold. Put it all in there. (laughs) Apparently leprechaun, they're stealing from leprechauns. But So these criminals, they rob this caravan in 1983. And they get away with 38,000 pounds. And the dude's running away, and at one point, he takes off, he had a a stocking, which, you know, like a pantyhose over his face to disguise his face. Again, it's 1983, they weren't really thinking that much. Put pantyhose over his face to disguise it, and at one point, he pulls the pantyhose off of his face. He probably left the ones on his legs still, but he pulled the pantyhose off of his face and kept running. Now we're in the year 2004, which is where my new news folder comes from, and... The detectives, I, I can imagine he, I can imagine a single detective has been staring at this piece of pantyhose for the past 20 years, but he's looking at it and he goes, dude, this thing's full of dandruff. Let's see if we can get some DNA. And they did. The guy had, I guess, bad dandruff, enough dandruff that's noticeable, and they pulled some of the dandruff off, which is, you know, skin flakes, so it would have DNA in it. They tested it. 20 years later, he got arrested for this crime. For this bank robbery, and you know that at that point, he's probably like, I've already spent the money, and he was doing whatever else, and he's sitting there, and he's like, man, I really should have bought some head and shoulders. That thing popped in his head for a second. I really should have bought some dandruff shampoo, but I didn't. Why am I having that thought right now? All of a sudden, army guys, or probably more likely police, break into his house and arrest him. Convicted because he had dandruff. So, and... I mean, so he never could have predicted that. He never could have predicted that. If he did, he probably should have worn two pantyhoses, one to keep all of his dandruff in, and the other one to disguise his face. Or simply don't take your mask off until you get home. That's another pro tip. Interestingly enough, this happened in 2004. He got sentenced to 15 years in prison, so you know what that means. He gets free next year. That's a great thing about doing news (laughs) from decades ago. Because it seems oddly relevant sometimes. Okay, next, new news. Very short one. I just thought this one was adorable. 2004, if you could have guessed. There was this family in Russia. And they're like, you know what we should do? Let's go on a vacation. The family's like, yay, where are we going? And they're like, Siberia? So for whatever reason, they go to Siberia to visit. What's, what is there? It's huts and caribou and a giant impact crater from an airburst meteorite, and gulags. Siberia. 
If you lived here, you'd already be home. Like, who who wants to go there? Anyways, they vacation to Siberia. They go sit at the side of a frozen lake. It's a wasteland. But anyway, so they're in Siberia. Maybe they like skiing. I guess it's probably good for skiing. I imagine it's flat, though. I always imagined Siberia was just a continent-wide plain. Are there mountains over there? I don't know. Anyways, this family from Russia decides to go further east. They go to Siberia, and they bring their little cat. They bring Kuzya. Hey, Kuzya. Let's go on this vacation to this horrid wasteland that we used to send political prisoners to. So they're there. And it sucked. The play, the people were fine with it. They stayed there for about three weeks. But the Kuzya was like, I'm out, dude. This place totally blows. It's like super cold and it's dry. And I'm pretty sure there's a house made out of toothpaste over there. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. But they just heard him go, Meow. and he like jumped off their lap and he ran away. So they looked for him for the three weeks. They're like, Kuzya, Kuzya. And he didn't come, and they're, like, all sad. They're like, well, that sucks. I mean, again, lesson learned, don't go to Siberia for your vacation. But eventually, their time ended, and they had to go home. They were like, well, our vacation's over. We have to go back home to the West Russia. So they leave, and they leave little Kuzya there. Three months later, after they leave, they hear it. Meow. Meow. At their door, and they're like, what? What? Did you buy a new cat? No, I'm still getting over Kuzya disappearing in the wilderness. They open the door. It's Kuzya. Kuzya walked 1,300 miles across Siberia to get back home. That's how much he hated Siberia. He could have just been like, eh, I'm just going to lay here or I'll build a new home here or meet like a nice cute cat woman. No, he's like, screw this. I'm going home. Walks through Siberia. When they get him, they notice that he had lost weight. His claws were basically turned to little nubs, like they had been completely filed down. He had meat, animal meat, in his teeth, supposedly animal meat. I don't think they took it to the DNA lab, but the article said, you know, he had, like, flesh in his teeth. And he had a couple bite marks on him. But other than that, he was totally fine. Little Kuzya. Imagine hating someplace that much that you would walk 1,300 miles to get out of it. I, I don't even think I would do that. I'd probably walk 10 and be like, you know what? Maybe I can start a new life here. I'd probably walk 2 and do that. Sad ending to the story, though. The story is from 2004, so little Kuzya most likely has passed away by now. But if you're in heaven, Kuzya, I hope it's warm and sunny and is opposite of Siberia as you can get. Meow. That was an EVP. Kuzya is con- contacting us from beyond the grave. Okay. The next story I want to talk about, I was going to talk about yesterday, but I ran out of time. And I think it's an interesting story because it, it kind of hinges on that conflict between religion and science. Now, the conflict's been going on since the first nerd picked up a textbook. We're going to look at the life and times of a man named Thomas Dick. Now, I will say this. I found out about this guy because I was prepping another story. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. A Christian philosopher slash scientist. And I was like, oh, I'm going to look into this guy. I'm kind of scrolling through my phone, looking at it at work. And then I just started laughing. First off, let's address his last name. Now, I am not so immature that when I see a guy with the last name of Dick, I immediately think of penises. I saw his name. I'm like, Thomas Dick. It didn't even occur to me. I'm like, oh, you know, I started reading the article. And it's like, there's on Wikipedia, it was like, you know, Thomas Dick was born in this is the year, and he was doing this. And then it said, 
He worked at his father's linen shop. His father made, like, wove clothes or something like that. I guess I should preface this. This starts off in the 1700s. This is mostly late 1700s, early 1800s. It's like the father, he had this, had this, um, had this, um, linen shop where he made clothes. His father's name, this great Christian philosopher, would go on to be this author, this influential author. His father's name is Mungo Dick. Mungo Dick. And I laughed out loud when I saw that. Now, that's when I was like, okay, let's break down Mungo Dick here for a second. One, it makes it sound like he has a huge dick. If if you go, dude, that's a Mungo Dick, you, you don't think, oh, that must be a Scottish name. You're like, no, that means the dude has a big dick. Now, to be fair, when these guys were around in the late 17, early 1800s, Dick what didn't mean penis yet, but it does now. So when I'm reading an article and there's a guy named Mungo Dick in it, I'm going to laugh out loud. Secondly, and again, I know that Mungo is... Oh, and by the way, Mungo means uh, beloved in Scot Scottish. So basically his name is Beloved Dick. But b m m I get that Mungo is a Scottish name and it's like probably a little racist for me to make fun of it. But when I think of Mungo. I think of a eight-foot-tall, brute, Gollum-esque, not Gollum from Lord of the Rings, but like big stone dude, Solomon Grundy dude. That's who you think of. You think of a henchman. You think of a lunk. Guy named Mungo. Imagine growing up in a house with a guy named Mungo. Again, you guys are like, Jason, this is... A so I'm trying to read this article now after having this vision of this lurching henchman just standing behind this young boy and I just couldn't focus anymore. So Thomas Dick was, I just imagine this giant like Mungo. Mungo no like science. Mungo like God. And then Thomas Dick's like, but dad, you have to understand God made science. And Mungo's like, whoa. Head hurt. And I imagine that was pretty much his childhood life. And you go, well, that might be an exaggeration, but it's not really, because he wanted to be a scientist because he saw a meteor one day. And so he's reading all the books he could, even when he was in the linen shop. Mungo's, like, crashing through the shop, throwing books around. Make yarn! Make yarn! <laughs> and so, anyway, so Thomas Dick, because he had no support from his parents early on, he actually made his own telescope. By gr he got like some eyeglasses and ground down the lenses. I think that story is probably a bit apocryphal. I, I don't think that story actually happened. But it would be awesome if it did. Just to give something for Mungo to destroy. He's like, no, I think. She's like, Dad, no, I worked on that. Uh, only see with real God eyes. Anyways, by the time he was 16, his parents kind of started to warm up to the egg. Because I guess I should have said this before Mungo destroyed the shop. They were Christian. They were like, not like super crazy Westboro Baptist Church Christian, but they were devout. So when their son was like, oh, look at shiny stars. Maybe that's like a rock from another galaxy. Mungo's like smashing through the wall. So anyways, but by the time they're 16, they're like, uh, I mean, uh, science may be okay. And then Thomas is like, yay. Anyways. So he starts to like really get into the science stuff. Now what's, okay, he becomes a teacher, he becomes a writer, and he starts writing, he starts writing articles for a magazine. And I thought this was another just bizarre 
how okay you have a magazine he started okay so he starts i'm reading this article and i'm thinking who wrote this mad libs on a board afternoon we got mungo dick running around and he writes for a magazine called monthly magazine that is the most i mean i i I thought about it afterwards and i thought yes there are newspapers called like the daily star or the daily tribune but i don't know if i've ever seen a newspaper called daily paper that's just it but anyways he wrote for a magazine that came out every month called monthly magazine it should have been, actually, now that I think about it, it should have been Mungo's Monthly Magazine. That would have been much better. It was, it's, that would be a better plot. Mungo actually has a monthly magazine, not a linen shop. I'm glad I'm rewriting this guy's life history. And it is a magazine dedicated to uh, religious topics and sports. And Mungo's like, me put religion in for soul, but sports is what makes me feel alive. And it's all like rugby stuff because they're in Europe. And the sun's trying to, like, sneak in science articles. And so as Mungo's, like, proofreading, he has his little glasses on on his giant monster head. As he's trying to proofread the magazine, he notices, like, in the sports article. Because the sports articles would say stuff like, ball smash through goal, team win. And then he starts to notice, like, equations sneaking in there. Like, the ball arced 90 degrees. Oh, and then Mungo's just like smashing the printing press. Son, what you do? Where these numbers come from? Okay, let's get back to the real story here. So Thomas Dick ends up writing these books and he writes a bunch of books about Christian philosophy. One of them, his, his big book was The Christian Philosopher or The Connection of Science and Philosophy with Religion. And that, he, that was a huge book and he, it was about him trying to merge the two ideas together. And from then on out, he was known as the Christian philosopher. And he was highly regarded as like a well-thought-out guy who actually did a good blend of science and religion. But where he started to go wrong, because that's all just thought experiments, where I could say, here's science, here's religion, and these are the ways we can look at them. What started to go wrong, other than Mungo, then smashing through the city of London, that was actually a big incident. They had to take Mungo down because he was attacking a bunch of bobbies. So, but the the big problem he made was that he started to basically formulate scientific theories himself. And he was a smart guy. And people have looked back and said, it's interesting because he used data. He actually, like, he thought like a scientist. But his conclusions were wildly off. And he came to this, this calculation that there's 250 people per square mile in Britain. And there's millions and millions of square miles in the solar system. God would not create an empty universe. Therefore, to extrapolate all that information in our solar system alone, 22 trillion living creatures, from little ant monsters to full humanoids. In our solar system alone, 22 trillion people. On the moon, he believed there were 4 billion people. Now, of course... This was, this caught the attention of millions of people, very controversial in the scientific community, but it it excited the imagination of the public who read the book. They're like, whoa, we're surrounded by, we're in a living universe. In 1837, Thomas Dick came up with the idea to draw a giant triangle in the middle of Siberia. So that way other aliens would go, hey, look, there's life down there. And it's funny because that's a stupid idea now. 
But back then, they didn't have cities illuminated with lights. Like, really, the only way that you could look at a planet in passing to see if there was life on it back then would to have a continent-sized drawing on it. And he's like, listen, I know that's going to take a lot of work, but my dad and a plow, that triangle is done in a day. He can easily walk across Siberia in a day. Hey, I didn't realize that. Siberia and Kuzia. Anyway, so the cat, the cat meow, Mongo-like cat. He's like petting the cat. And they're like, no, Mongo, no, no, you're petting it too hard. Oh, Mongo, so sad. (laughs) So anyways, what happened was, of course, as scientific advancements get better, his theories start to fall further and further out of favor. And a story that we're going to be covering tomorrow, let's consider this a little bit of part one, he plays a minor role in that story, and that's why I'm talking about it now. He plays a minor role in that story, but that story also helped lead to his downfall in a way, because it was a hoax that he got caught up in, unknowingly. He didn't know he was getting caught up in it, but... And then, you know, so he was this great writer and philosopher and stuff like that, but in the end, he died pretty much penniless. He didn't make a lot of good deals with his publishers, and he died. His books, other people, uh, David Livingston, the dude who was like in the jungles, and they're like, Livingston, I presume. He got lost in the jungle or something. I don't know why you're famous for getting lost in the jungle, but anyways, he went out there and did a bunch of like nature work and other jungle stuff, and he compared, he's famous, he's famous, but so he's just not nobody, but I guess he's famous just for being lost. Anyways, he, I guess his review doesn't matter now that I just realized he's just, a, just a, a guy who doesn't know directions. He said that the books that Thomas Dick wrote were on the level of the Bible. Like, that's how that's the level of esteem he had in his lifetime. People looked to him for a way to bridge those two things. And he ended up dying pretty much penniless. Mungo actually had to dig his grave with his bare hands, crying the whole time, going, Why God take son? No God, only science. And then like lightning. So that, that didn't happen, obviously. That didn't happen, obviously. It is interesting, though, to note that, again, the word dick did not mean penis when, they, when he was young. But by the time Thomas Dick died, the word dick definitely died was slang for penis. So I'm sure he had to hear a lot of jokes before his last five years of life about having a dad named Mungo Dick. But that's the life and times of Thomas Dick. I wanted to talk about that. I think the story is interesting. I think it's interesting how they've still never really been able to combine those two paths. So maybe they're not compatible, science and religion. But again, I think science doesn't care whether or not they're compatible and religion does want them to be compatible does kind of glom onto it and that's really what that story exemplifies thomas dick was really trying to say hey listen give me some of that science give me some of that knowledge i'm with you and yeah we've never been able to really find that gap you hear a lot of paranormal investigators saying hey let's get a scientist over here let's use this equipment to see if we can scientifically prove ghosts exists You never hear a scientist goes, you know what we really need to figure out how the Higgs boson works? We need a bunch of psychics. Let's get some remote viewers over to CERN and find out what's going on. Weird divide. It's a weird little break. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Thank you.